still my soul. Hey everybody, this is Phil. Welcome to our Bible study podcast. At the end of this study, please take the time to subscribe to the Glen Springs Church YouTube channel and check out our website. Also, if you live in the Gainesville, Florida area, we would love to have you visit us in person. For now, let's open up the Heavenly Library and may the words of the Holy Spirit sink deep into our hearts. Thanks for joining us. In every Good morning. If you would please stand at this time for our scripture reading. Our scripture reading today comes from Matthew chapter 2, and I'll begin reading in verse 1. Matthew chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it arose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. You may be seated. It is so good to see a packed house this morning. Just like it was so fun to have a part in the gathering last night with the Asmuses, and we thank so much Ryan and Heather and all their kids for their hospitality and the joy that we experienced last night. But may the joy continue for us this morning because I want to share with you an announcement, not to embarrass anybody, but this is definitely worth celebrating. Today with us is one of our college students who's been a part of us for the past couple of years. But this past week, he gave himself to Jesus Christ in baptism. And so today we rejoice with Bryce Harrell. And Bryce, it's good to see you. And God bless you for that decision in the Lord. 
you haven't had the opportunity to meet Bryce yet, he is a deep thinker and a wonderful student in so many ways, and I know that he is going to be a great ambassador for our Lord, so God bless you, Bryce. Also today, we want to bid our love and respect as well as our farewell to the Mitchell family. This is their last Sunday with us. And uh, so to Justin and Carrie, where are you? There you are, back there. God bless you. Uh, we hate to lose you, but wish you all the best. Moving down to Tampa, Justin and Carrie and their family have been part of our family for many years now. And so God bless them. We thank you so very much. And we will certainly see them again, I hope, often. So thank you so much. The wise men. Isn't that an amazing story? In fact, here's what amazes me when you go and you consider this story. It's only recorded in Matthew. I don't know about you, but that seems like a big deal. This huge, this huge, if you will, entourage coming from the east of wise men. Many historians say it probably wasn't just the wise men. They probably came with soldiers. They probably came with servants. It probably was quite the show as they came into Jerusalem. But only Matthew records this unbelievable event for us. Why, why wouldn't Mark or Luke or even John throw it in there? Well, what it reminds us of is that each and every gospel had its purpose. And if you know the gospel of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew is centered around many purposes, but first and foremost is to introduce for us the king of the Jews. If you go to chapter 1 and in verse 1, as Matthew begins the genealogy, he begins by reminding us this is the lineage of the son of David. In other words, this is the one who was promised about, given to Abraham through God. This is the one who would come and be the king of kings. And if you go to the very end of the gospel, in Matthew chapter 28, it is the king Jesus who will say, all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. But when you get to this story, who's the first? Who's literally the first to proclaim him king? Wise men. Wise men who aren't even Jews, who have been on a long journey apparently and have made their way to Jerusalem. Now, anybody here love Christmas like I do? I love Christmas. I love Christmas music. I love that everybody's nice. I, I love, in fact, if you want to hear some fun Christian, uh, from Christmas music, get on Spotify and listen to Kelly Clarkson Christmas music. It is my favorite. My family totally despises it now because it's all I've been playing. But if you know, if you know some of the Christmas music, not all of the lyrics are, if you would say, accurate. For example, the wise men are described as we three kings. Where did that come from? There's no reference at all in the text in any way that they were kings. Maybe it came from some of the old theologians of old, such as Augustine, who possibly had misinterpreted some of the passages in Psalms or Isaiah and came up with the idea of kings. But these guys aren't kings. And also, there's not three of them. 
We, we don't have any reference to how many. More than likely, somebody thought three because there were three gifts, but chances are it was more than three. And when they find Jesus, he's not a baby. If you go and look at the text twice, Matthew makes it clear for us. When you look at verse 11, he was a child. In other words, he would be anywhere from possibly six, year, six months old to all the way up to maybe two years. He's not a baby. And then notice the star. The star appears, disappears. It appears, disappears. And it wasn't exactly hanging over the manger. It was seen by the wise men to lead them, and it just leads them into Judea. It doesn't lead them exactly to Bethlehem, and so you see their excitement when it appears again, and now it's hanging over Bethlehem, actually hanging over the house where Jesus was. There's a lot that you can, in fact, you want to talk about another Christmas song that really just kind of is like, no way, a little drummer boy. Can you imagine being a mom trying to put a baby to sleep and you got some kid outside the house beating on drums? Let's think this through, people. But can I suggest something to you? Don't get up in all your Christmas correctness that you miss the big points in the story. And this is a Big deal. I hope that after today, when you see wise men and no matter how they're depicted to you, that you'll remember this lesson. And more importantly, you'll hear the magnitude of what they meant to the announcement of the king of kings. In this story, there are actually two kings. In fact, when you look in Matthew chapter 2, two kings are shared with us. Uh, at the beginning of the year, we started a series about following Jesus. You remember that? As we went through Matthew and we began with our Lord's baptism and how our Lord was commissioned on that day to hear His word. This story is actually a prequel to that, all right? And what you find here is you actually find a story of two kings. And don't think it's by chance that the Lord gives us a description of two different kings right off the bat. The first king, the first king is what the wise men see first because they are seeking Jesus. They make that very clear. In fact, you kind of look when you get to the story that when they arrive in Jerusalem, they go, all right, where is he? And everybody goes, where's who? Y'all haven't seen the star? Y'all don't know what's coming on? We, we're going to get to it a little bit later as to why they may have been looking like they were and why they have, may have taken this great trip. But they actually come into Jerusalem and they're all excited to see the king and everybody's going, which king are you talking about? We only have one king and it's this guy named Herod over here. And they're like, what, Herod? No, we're looking for the king of the Jews. And so there's, there's commotion possibly a little frustration on the side of the wise men going, what is going on with you people? You live here. You're not looking for the king of the Jews? Well, they had another king. His name was Herod. 
And Herod is the other king in the story. And I want you to see that what Matthew gives us right off the bat is night and day. Two polar opposites. And don't think it's by chance that he shows us these two polar opposites right here in the beginning of the story. The first, you might say, is the dark side. A man by the name of Herod, who will be referred to as the Great. Here's what's interesting about Herod, who was the physical king at that moment. He's not really a Jew. Uh, He's actually more or less an Edomite or Indumean. His father was an Edomite, but he was an extremely wealthy man. And his dad was so rich that he had great connections, even in Rome. And due to his prominence, due to his nobility, he was able to persuade Rome to appoint his son as king. Now, Herod... Herod gets his inheritance the old-fashioned way. He was born into it. He didn't earn it. But yet he's a very shrewd man and a politician. If you know your Roman history, you ever heard of Mark Anthony? Ever heard that story? And Octavian, if you think back to your history, these were two uh, conflicting Roman leaders who were fighting for the throne Herod actually was a friend of Mark Anthony, and when Mark Anthony is defeated and Octavian is actually the winner, Herod is such a shrewd individual, he kind of works his way into Octavian and goes, well, I was actually cheering for you all along. He's a politician, and he's good at it. History tells us he's extremely shrewd and knows how to get himself in position and keep himself there. He's a builder. He knows how to get the people all excited. He starts building things. First of all, he focuses on the temple for the Jews, and it's such a remarkable display of architecture. Even Jesus' own disciples are going to go, would you look at that? In fact, for 40 years, they're building on this magnificent and grand temple. He also built fortresses to himself. Many fortresses for himself. He'll build aqueducts. He'll build theaters. He'll build places of entertainment. And due to his building and building and building, the economy is kind of thriving and thriving and thriving. And in that day and age, many in Judea were very prosperous. So it was kind of one of those deals. I don't like him, but boy, does he do a lot of good for us. If you're on his good side. Because there was another side to Herod. He was a nutcase. History tells us he was literally mentally unstable at times because his lust of power was so great, he wouldn't allow anyone to get in his way, including his children. He would execute three of his sons. He would execute his wife. He would even kill his mother-in-law. Now, mm, well, no, we won't go too far into that. But he killed people. That's what he would do. He was even known to actually, when it came time for his death, knowing that nobody was going to mourn for him, he had many of the dignitaries in the land also arrested, and the day that he died, they were to be executed, so there would be at least somebody crying. That's how ruthless he was. 
in Matthew 2 and in verse 16. When the wise men don't go back to him and he's obviously in fear of somebody maybe growing up and taking away his place. He'll order the murder of babies in Bethlehem. He has authority And it is so evil, he commands the execution of children. That's one king. That's one king. Here's the other king that is talked about in this story. And it's the king that the wise men have come to see who's still a child. And here's what we see when we consider the King Jesus, the Christ. First of all, his lineage. If you go back in Matthew chapter 1, Matthew shares for us as well as Luke, the lineage of the King. And this is a lineage that goes all the way back to Abraham, but specifically Matthew wants us to see this is the true heir to the throne. This is the one who's come from the seed of David. For as it says in verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. If you were to go and look at Luke's gospel, Luke will also give you a genealogy. And here's what's so neat about the genealogy genealogy in Luke is that more than likely, and it's possible, more than likely it is the lineage of Mary. So this is pure blood. These are the bloodlines that lead us to Jesus. Both come from Abraham, both come from Adam, and both specifically come from David. He'll be a shepherd. If you go and look at the prophecy, you remember the prophecy here in verse 6? The prophecy isn't just a location. It's an attitude. For he will be a king who leads like a shepherd. Not a Gestapo mindset of an assassin like Herod. No, this will be a king who goes with his people who gets dirty with the sheep and is there among them because he will be humble. Very humble. And in his birth, he's born into poverty. But maybe that's why nobody was getting excited because they were waiting for some big royal birth. They were looking at all the dignitaries. He's going to come in some fancy place. And so the idea that he would be out in some small little village like Bethlehem, they weren't really looking for that. Or some very poor family like Joseph, they weren't looking for that. Maybe that's why nobody was getting all excited. But nonetheless, his humility is seen throughout the Gospels. The King, the Christ, would live his life and have no possessions of any substance officially to his name. Just a garment when he dies that is taken by the soldiers. And then thirdly, here's what you, or fourthly, here's what you see. His passion. And, and I'm not talking about just his emotional passion. Uh, I'm not talking about just a passion for people. The passion also refers to his suffering. Read a little bit ahead and go to verse 18 when the children are murdered. 
Matthew reminds us of the prophecy from Jeremiah that the loud lamentations of weeping would come by Rachel for her children, certainly pointing to the death of the children. But it's also very symbolic of one who would live a life of suffering himself. He didn't come to reign as much as he came to die. He didn't come to conquer as much as he came to give. For as he will remind his disciples often, the Son of Man has not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Two kings. Two kings. One of the world with worldly ambitions. One from heaven with the mission of the Father. This brings us to something else that to me is very dramatic about the story, and that is the seekers. Notice, first of all, as we've already mentioned, it is not the Jews that are seeking him. It is not the Jews who should know the history. In fact, here's what we know about the Jews in this day and age. There had been many throughout this moment of history who came forth claiming to be the Messiah. It was happening all the time leading up to the birth of Christ. For everybody knew when you went and looked at the book of Daniel, this had to be about the time. And so in that time, there were actually those who claimed to be, I am the Messiah, but their, 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 their reign, or their desire to reign would always be squashed by the Romans for they came with a military tactic in mind instead of humility. And isn't it interesting? When the wise men come to the city and everybody gets excited, why are you here? We're here to see king of the Jews, that when they go to Bethlehem, catch this, nobody went with them. I mean, think about it. The whole city's in an uproar. The whole city's getting excited. Uh, Herod calls all the scribes and the Pharisees together, the religious leaders. Where's he going to be born? Bethlehem. Well, these guys say they're going to go see him. Wouldn't you at least tag along? Wouldn't you at least hang out at a distance? No. Nobody goes. Well, maybe, may, maybe nobody goes because of Herod. <laughs> And maybe nobody goes because they know what kind of person he is. And you, act, you don't want to act like you're interested. Is there somebody else we can actually put on this throne? You don't want to be that person. Maybe there was fear. Maybe they weren't expecting the humble birth. Or maybe there is this. Maybe they were indifferent. Isn't that one of the greatest challenges for all of us today in our Christian walk? And isn't that one of the greatest challenges that we deal with as man is that we struggle with indifference for things that are super important from God. Remember, they were prosperous. Many of them probably, if Herod hasn't killed you, you must be in good, so why rock the boat? Maybe many of them were like that Pharisee that Jesus talks about who went to the temple to pray, who was not so much impressed with God as he was impressed with himself. But then there's another group of seekers. Let's talk about these wise men for a moment. One of the things that sometimes skips our mind when we get into stories like this is we, we fail to sit down and appreciate what has just been shared with us. 
You'll notice that it says, when you go back to verse 1, it says that wise men came from the east. Now, we don't know how far east that is, but what we can safely assume is that more than likely, more than likely, we're looking at a region that is over in what we would consider to be modern-day Iraq, maybe over in that land of Persia, maybe over in that land along the Tigris and Euphrates. More than likely, it's that far away. This was not a simple journey. This was not just a couple of guys who got together and said, well, you got anything to do this weekend? Anything to do? Well, let's just go over for the weekend. Let's just go hang out in Jerusalem. This was a trip that took months and months and months to complete. What can we possibly assume about them that they would be so interested in the Christ? If you'll hold your place here, I want you to go to the book of Daniel, and I want you to go to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. In Daniel chapter 2, we read how Daniel, who's been carried away in captivity as a Jew, he's going to be called to interpret a dream. And the reason he's called to interpret a dream is because all the other wise men in Babylon could not interpret the dream that the king at that time, Nebuchadnezzar, had. And here's what we read in verse 24, Then Daniel, then Daniel the Jew, he is called and appointed to come before the king, all right? And here's what the king has already determined. He's going to destroy all the wise men who couldn't interpret his dream. All right, you guys couldn't figure this out. Off with your head. Notice what Daniel says. Right out of his mouth, first thing up. Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Now, I don't know about you, but anybody says my life's going to be a friend. You know what you find when you go back and you get into the story of Daniel? Is that Daniel is going to be elevated to become kind of the wisest of the wise men. He will be elevated to the one who's kind of that leader. And don't you think that all, especially those whose lives were saved by him, took an interest in what he had to say? You study the book of Daniel, and you'll notice that Daniel talks a lot about the Lord and a lot about the lineage leading to the Christ. Therefore, it's possible, I would say highly possible, that these are those through that lineage who've been studying the Scriptures. But the wise men would also have been those who had studied astronomy, agriculture, mathematics. They are those who in that day and age, in that region of the world, were the wise men. And they were also the ones who in many times were called before the king to appoint kings and help with the reign. That's why their arrival in Jerusalem is such a big deal. But yet, here's what's crazy about the story. The birth of the king of kings is relatively a secret to everyone who is a Jew. But these Gentiles have figured it out and have insight from God. Now, I think you can also say, this is important, that God's given them special insight. He gave them the star, all right? There's some intervention there. But besides Mary and Joseph and Anna and Simeon, 
who were there at the temple when he was brought to the temple. Everybody else seems oblivious to the king of kings. Except for the wise men. Gentile wise men. Now can I ask you to do something for a moment? Put yourself in the position of Joseph and Mary. First of all, you've had a child born that you can't explain. Okay? You can't explain. And everybody you meet for the rest of your life is going to say, how old's your child? Oh, and when did y'all get married? What? And then you have Simeon say these words to you when you take him to the temple. Do you remember what Simeon said to Mary? Your son... Your son who will be appointed will be appointed before all to do great things and great rulers, but he will also be one through whom your soul will be pierced. You don't know to celebrate or cry. And then a few months later, here come these wise men to your house, this huge delegation, and they're bowing down before your child. And they don't just come. Please, if you will, notice their attitude when they came, verse 10. They came with exceedingly great joy. They didn't just come to worship. They came with exceedingly great joy. And so here's what I want you to remember, and here's what I want you to take home today. The reasons to rejoice... And I want you to see and understand the excitement in what they understood and knew that every single one of us need to grasp and every single one of us need to see when we see this story. They are wise men. And don't think it's by chance that four times in the text, Matthew makes it very clear, these are wise men. These are wise men. These are wise men. These are wise men. There's one word that's never reserved for Herod. There's one word that's never reserved for the self-righteous in that day and the there's one word reserved for all the Jews who weren't seeking Jesus. He never says they were wise. But to these Gentiles, it does. And isn't it interesting when you go through the story of Matthew, is that over and over again, the idea of wise is going to be brought to the forefront, either in Jesus' teaching or through Matthew himself. Here in chapter 2, the wise men come to Jesus. When Jesus shares that great sermon on the mount, how does he conclude it? With a description of a wise builder versus the foolish builder. When you get to chapter 10 and in verse 16, and you look at the commissioning of the disciples, what are they to do? They are to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. When you get to chapter 23 and in verse 34, as he announces the woes to all those who were self-righteous and refused to submit and refused to seek the word of God, Jesus reminds them that they had many wise men sent to them that they had ignored as well as the prophets. In chapter 24 and in verse 45, as Jesus talks about his return, he says it will be the wise who will be awaiting his return. And in Matthew 25, as he talks about those again who are ready, he gives us that beautiful and powerful description of the bridesmaids who are anticipating the bridegroom's arrival and how are they described as wise. Wise. 
It's not just, just that the wise seek Jesus. But the wise find their joy in Jesus. And what you see with the wise men is that they were made wise, not by man's interpretations, but by their humble submission to a king. And you know what's interesting? Who did they bow before? A child. Their wisdom is wrapped up in what's all been said coming before the king. They haven't even yet experienced his reign like we have. Secondly, here's what you see when you consider their actions, is you see that they have come for a purpose. They have come to worship. And you'll notice when you go back, they make this very clear when they come in before Herod and they come into Jerusalem. We've come to see the king of the kings and we haven't just come to see him. We're not actually just looking to shake hands with some dignitary. We're not exactly just trying to get a selfie made to show where we've been. No, we've come to worship. And we've come to bow down. And we've come to pay homage. And they came not saying, look at me. Although everybody was gawking at them. They came, we've come to see the king. I, I read something that's interesting. Uh, I mentioned this last week that I've kind of got a fascination right now with the Grand Canyon, hoping to go out there and take a trip. I was reading a friend who was writing about that. He goes, you know, one thing that you'll never see when you go look at the Grand Canyon, you're never going to bump into some tourist who goes, look at me. Can you imagine everybody standing there? They're all looking at the canyon. They're going, this is great. Can you imagine some guy in the back row going, hey, what about me? Look at me. Do you know what I've done? Hey, I'm a golfer. I shot a 72 once. Hey, I'm a great businessman. Hey, look. Everybody's going to go, yeah, right. Would you look at that? Nobody does that. I want you to see what worship is. These are wise men with quite the entourage. These are wise men who probably created quite the stir. But it's not about them. We've come to worship. And again, isn't it interesting to note that when you go through the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew is going to show those who are worshiping the Lord over and over again. And you know what's very interesting about this list? is that many of the times they're Gentiles, not Jews. Who's the first to bow before Jesus? Gentiles. You see the wise men here. You'll see a leper who's unclean in chapter 8. You'll see a ruler who will kneel. You'll see a disciple certainly worship, especially when they're in the boat and he calms the seas. Then you have this Canaanite woman who Jesus just called the dog who's going to bow down in worshiping. Quite the story. And then you see the disciples when the king has been resurrected grabbing his feet. Can I share something very important to you? When we truly appreciate and know who Jesus is, we can't help but bow down. And we can't help but go to great lengths to worship Him. It isn't just about the distance that they traveled. 
isn't just about the opposition they endured. Go to this in the story. You'll notice they brought gifts. We always like to talk about the gifts, don't we? Gold. Possibly it's a reference to the idea that gold was for kings, possibly. Frankincense. Well, you could possibly make the case that the frankincense was for the priest and part of priestly worship. Myrrh. You could possibly make the case that's what you give to uh, and anoint a body with or surround a body with when they're buried in a tomb. And you're actually going to see that at the end of Jesus' life. You'll see that Jesus from Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus is going to be wrapped in myrrh. Possibly it is symbolism pointing to his life. Possibly, possibly. But here's what we do know about those gifts. They were expensive. There's nothing cheap about it. You know what else is interesting when you look at the Bible story? is that any time somebody brought a gift to Jesus, it had great value. It doesn't always have to be super expensive because you remember the widow who Jesus points out in the story? She simply brought two mites, but to her, it was gold, frankincense, and myrrh because those two mites were all that she had. When you look at the brethren of the first church in Acts 2, What were they actually doing so that they could give more? They were selling their possessions. Something to be said for giving. And maybe it says this, if nothing else. It's not that God needs it. It already belongs to Him. But what it shows is we trust our Lord enough to give up of things that are even valuable in man's eyes, for we know our Lord will provide. And isn't it fascinating to see these wise men had that kind of diligence to a child? A child. Our kids are going to get a lot of gifts this season, possibly, if you've been good. You're going to get all excited, some of you that are real little about a box, and you'll play with the box, but mom and dad spend a lot of money on you. But can you imagine for Joseph and Mary, their amazement when these wise men bring these kinds of gifts to Jesus? The wise come with worship. They come to pay homage. They come to worship the one who is the name above all names. And then the third thing that you see in the story that is also all the way through Matthew is the concept of a warning. You'll look at the very last verse of our text when we read it you'll notice that it says, and being warned in a dream. Now, here's what I want you to grasp here. It doesn't, it doesn't imply by the text that this was just a 10-minute meeting. All right, we came, we saw, now we're headed back home. You kind of get the impression, they hung out for a little bit. Because if you're going to have a dream, what have you got to do? You got to fall asleep. 
All right? So maybe they were there for a while. We don't know. But in a dream, the Lord tells us, tells them, don't go back the same way you came. Isn't there something powerful? There's a good sermon there. Don't go back the same way you came to Jesus. That could be a good sermon. Somebody needs to preach that. Because what the Lord gave them was a warning. And isn't it neat to see in Jesus' sermons and even in all the epistles, there's always the gentle admonition and the warning of the Lord. You see it in the Sermon on the Mount. You see it as Jesus speaks in the parables in Matthew 24 and in Matthew 25. You see it in the words when you go and you listen to John, Peter, and, and, and when you consider Paul in their final words. It's the warning. And maybe the warning is this. Once you met Jesus, don't go back to Herod. Don't go back to the politician, the ruthless, the one who's not a shepherd. Stay with the one who wants to lead you to heaven. Can I give you one more thought as we wrap this up as a means of invitation to us today? I want you to go back and notice when they came seeking the king of the Jews, you'll notice that the scribes and the people who are inquired by Herod to search the records are to go and find, notice, the Christ. Do you know what Christ means? It's not Jesus' last name, all right? Christ means the anointed, the one. Christ means this is more than just you're a king. This is the one who has been chosen by God. He's the one. It's another way of referring to Jesus' nobility as being God. You see, a lot of people know Jesus. They have this kind of safety net. They have this kind of luck charm that they can go to when things aren't going right. Or they, they kind of have this feeling or emotion that they can go to every now and then when they're just trying to feel better about themselves. They, they, they have a Jesus. But what the Lord wants us to see is in Him we have a Christ. Meaning we have one who has all authority on heaven and earth. One in whom we give our total allegiance to. One in whom we trust. One in whom we follow. And one in whom we're willing to submit. No matter what we're called to do in His service. As William Barclay in his commentary insightfully says, it is the coming of the wise men who share for us the first sign and the symbol that the world will be Jesus' conquest. For what he did there is he captured the attention of the world.
And may we get it just like they did. This morning, I call you to the Christ. I call you to the one who is the true king. I call you to come follow a shepherd who is humble. And a king who has not come to take, but has come to give. And that's a king worth following. And this morning, if you need to come to your king, you need to come and give Him homage this morning. We want to help you do that. Maybe you need to have your sins washed away through the baptism that He provides through His blood. You can do that today to give your life to your King. Or maybe you just need to return and receive the prayer of the saints here, the prayer with your elders, and you just need to have that fire relit within your heart. Whatever we can do to do to help you do that today, we want you to come. For come as wise men do. They come to the king. If we can help in any way do that today, won't you come while we stand and sing? The Lord is in his holy temple. Again, thanks for listening. If you live in north central Florida or you're just passing through, we would love to have you visit us at the Glen Springs Road Church of Christ. Also, check out our website, glenspringschurch.com. You can learn more about our church family and how to contact us. Until next time, God bless. Keep silence before.